Hey, what's up guys? Uh, Welcome back to another episode of Thoughts Longer Than Three Minutes. Uh, So grateful for everybody who listens to this podcast. Uh, Those of you who have subscribed, uh, appreciate your support. Those of you who have shared it with anyone, uh, as you've seen it helpful for you, uh, I've really, really appreciated it. Um, What you maybe can't believe, or at least I can't believe it, is this is the 10th episode. This is our 10th episode here on Thoughts Longer Than Three Minutes, which is just mind-boggling um, and also what's crazy is we are reaching um, we are approaching uh, a thousand downloads uh, we are about a week and a half away according to the prediction systems uh, of a thousand downloads so uh, that is crazy to me I can't believe that that's where we're at um, but I just want to say I'm so grateful for every single one of you um, who do listen to the podcast religiously who do share it with your friends and who actually uh, get back in touch with me you know I love hearing from people whether it's on whatsapp on instagram um, even via email you know please feel free to reach out let me know uh, your thoughts let me know um, yeah just any input people you want to see interviewed uh, whatever the case may be I'd really appreciate that but uh, without further ado I'm gonna plug us in here to my conversation that I was able to have with a man named Will Lambert uh, out in Madrid, Spain. And uh, hopefully you'll find this conversation as helpful as I did. Please stick around to the end. Um, I have a special announcement right at the end of this episode. I'd really appreciate that. Enjoy. Awesome. Well, uh, welcome, uh, everybody who's listening. Welcome to Thoughts Longer Than Three Minutes. Uh, so grateful today to be able to speak to uh, someone that I've corresponded with for a while over email and even, you know, kind of worked on a project together. Uh, but now with this is our first time being able to really chat and physically see each other, even though it's through technology. Uh, but just looking forward to a great conversation uh, with uh, a man doing some great things for God and, and living, living a life, I believe, worth uh, learning from. And so, uh, yeah, this is, our, this is my conversation with Will Lambert. How's it? Will, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you so much, Remo. It is, uh, it's great to be here and it is good to be able to connect and hear each other's voices after sending emails uh, back and forth over the course of the last year. And it's cool to connect in this way. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for being here, brother. Dude, so if you could just uh, dive in for us here and give us a brief intro into who is Will Lambert, kind of where you at, life, marital status, that kind of thing. And then we'll dive into our conversation for the day. Sure. Um, so yeah, again, my name is Will Lambert. I'm 30 years old. Uh, my wife, Kristen, and I, we've been married for six and a half years, coming up on seven years. And I have been a Christian for 15 years now. I, I became a Christian as a teenager uh, at 15 wow. years old. So it's now half of my life uh, I've been a Christian. And from this point forward, I will have lived more years as a Christian than not, which is a, it's a cool milestone. And uh, I'm a father as well. We, we have a two-year-old son who was born here in Madrid uh, two years ago. Uh, which for us is the foreign mission field. My wife and I are both American, and uh, we've been here in Madrid for three and a half years working with, uh, working with a, a church here. Awesome. Thanks, brother. That is, that is cool, man. 15 years is a, is a long time. Goodness gracious. Uh, congratulations on yeah. into the, the realm of uh, being a Christian more time in your life than, than being not a Christian. I know that's a, that's, a, that's a cool milestone to be able to cross. 
so, Will, let's, let's maybe start at the beginning uh, of your life, uh, kind of your childhood. Uh, um, where, where did you grow up? I know you're from the U.S., uh, but where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up, it's, that's a, a great question. So I am a person who has moved around quite a bit. Okay. Um, I actually was born, sorry, Remo, my, we may have to pause for a second. Okay, cool. Uh, okay. just cause my, my son just came in the room. Okay. I think my wife is talking to one of our neighbors. Okay. Cool. No problem. Cool. All right. Welcome back, Will. Uh, no problem. I know your, your little guy came, came in to pay you a visit. Uh, yeah. So for those yes. listening, Will, Will has a two-year-old, almost two-year-old son uh, who just popped in. So we just had to pause there for a bit. Uh, but Will, you were saying uh, that, yeah, you kind of grew up all over the place. So, so take, us, take us from there. I did. So uh, the, the shortest version possible is my parents are both American. And they, they became Christians around the time they were in, in university. And they actually moved from the U.S. to, to Buenos Aires, Argentina okay. to serve as missionaries. And that's actually where they were married. And so I was born in Argentina, kind of as an American citizen born abroad. And we moved around quite a bit after Argentina. We lived in Mexico for a few years. And that was sort of my connection with the Spanish language and culture. But as a three-year-old, uh, just as a little kid, we moved to the U.S., moved around a few different cities. But my hometown, if I had to just say, you know, in general, where am I from? It's Baltimore, Maryland. So that, okay. that was sort of where I grew up spiritually. That's where I went to university. Uh, that's my, my hometown. Cool. Cool. And, and I mean, you, you know, you probably don't remember the moving around outside of the States, but do you remember kind of moving around in the States and, and what did you feel like as you were, you know, kind of uh, city hopping for lack of a better term? I, I do remember it, uh, you know, from the time we first moved to the States all the way sort of through high school for me, I think uh, in that time, I attended seven different schools in four or five different cities because even sometimes we would move from one town to another, you know, in the same city, sort of the, yeah. the suburbs of the same city. Uh, so it was hard for sure, obviously, to have to make new friendships, kind of start from zero. But I think there were some positives, too, uh, in the sense that I had, I had to learn how to make friends quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that for me now is maybe a little bit easier for me than it would have been if I lived in the same place my whole life. Cause I had to learn how to make relationships quickly and get comfortable with people quickly. Um, so there are certainly pros and cons, but as a little kid, it's hard, yeah. you know, you know, okay, I have to leave my friends going to a new school, uh, mm-hmm. kind of learning things all over again. That's challenging. Yeah. And at, 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 at any point, did you kind of feel resentment or anger, or kind of look at your parents like, man, why can't we just stay in one place? Did that ever kind of cross your mind? I'm sure I did. I, I don't remember right now any vivid feelings, you know, of anger or resentment, but, but I'm sure I did. And I think probably the, the hardest move for me was our last move. I was already 15 years old. And okay. so, uh, that was tough. We had lived in the same place for eight years. Okay. And then when I was 15, we had to move again. And that, that was the hardest move because, um, 
It's okay. That's so cool. Tell him I say. There's uh, there's the little guy again. <laughs> yeah, that the last move when I was 15. That was that was challenging for sure because it felt like, wow, I've now spent eight years in the same place with these sort of long established friendships and I have to leave that behind. Sure. That was hard. Fortunately, I had I, I had already become a Christian at that point, so I think having that perspective helped a lot of just, okay. okay, I could see things through that lens of my own relationship with God and looking maybe at the bigger picture, right? Then that I, I wouldn't have been able to see the bigger picture probably if I hadn't already been a Christian. Sure. Okay. The, the reason I asked that is just because a previous guest, Stephen Aguaya, he had moved around a little bit as, as a, as a child of kind of missionaries, just like you kind of thing. And he, he had shared some interesting things that I had never considered as someone who just knew him or knew someone who kind of lived the life of being a, a missionary or, or a church leader per, child who moved around. So we're just trying to see if, if, if you shared some similar sen- sentiments. Um, but sure. But t- tell me about growing up as kind of, you know, the, the, the son of, the, I think, I guess your parents, because I know them as leading a church now, but I'm pretty sure they were kind of involved at different levels of ministry but what did it feel like growing up as a child of a a ministry couple and did you I mean did you enjoy it did you feel like man I get special treatment was there pressure you know all that kind of stuff how how was that Mm. you know I I think for the most part I did not enjoy it and and I remember specifically uh, I just felt so weird when I would be talking with my friends at school and, you know, inevitably you start talking about what your parents do for work. And uh, for a long time, I used to lie. And I just said, oh, my dad is a lawyer. Because before my parents started working in ministry, my dad actually worked as a lawyer. He was a practicing lawyer. So I just went back to that and, and lied and said, oh, my dad's a lawyer. Because if you say my dad's a minister, it's like, well, that's weird. And I don't know anyone else whose dad is a minister. And so certainly as... I don't probably through the time I was a preteen, I really did not enjoy it. And, uh, and I think that that is something I had to work through quite a bit as I, as I started to study the scriptures, just to have my own relationship with God and figure out if I wanted to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. because I really had to make my own decision. Uh, That was certainly something I had to wrestle through was, I've got to make sure I'm doing this for me and not for my parents or for the church, because I think it is true in the back of people's minds. They think, okay, well, of course the church leaders' kids are are going to become Christians. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Which of course we know that's not true, right? Every every family and every child is going to have to make their own decisions and wrestle through things. But but I did have to to think a lot about that and really make sure if I'm going to do this, right, if I'm going to pursue a relationship with God, Mm -hmm. I can't do this to make my parents happy or to make the church happy to sort of fit into the mold that they want me to fit into. Um, So it, I think there, yeah, there's certainly a lot of aspects of that, that were, that were challenging. Yeah. Okay. Cause, uh, and maybe help us out here. You know, I, I grew up with parents who were Christians and there was definitely a, I mean, my dad, he used to say point blank, like, I'm not afraid to tell you, yes, I'm putting pressure on you to become a Christian. Like, he's like, he grew up, you know, in a, in a 
semi-religious household, his parents didn't put the pressure on him and he felt like he lost out because of that. And so he wanted to put the pressure um, on us as, as his kids. Um, so, so how people, how did you kind of, you know, come through that, like figure out, okay, yes, there's pressure, but I'm, I'm going to work and make sure that I'm doing this for myself. What are some things that you did? Because some of the people who listen to this are growing up questioning, am I going to be a Christian? Am I not? You know, they're growing up in households, maybe not with ministers as parents, but definitely Christian parents. Um, and they kind of contemplating, okay, do I do this? Don't I do this? So help, help them out or help me out as to how do we, how do we make sure that, man, we're doing this for the right reasons and that the pressure is not just what we're doing it to, doing it for? Sure. That, uh, that is a great question. I think it's a profound question um, that probably every child and every parent as well, right? Every parent who's a Christian with children is, who are growing up and kind of coming to that age where they're going to be making a decision. That's a big one. Uh, I, I think of maybe two things that, that I would say helped me. So one, one thing I really appreciate about my parents is that uh, from the time that I decided I do want to study the Bible, I want to study the scriptures and figure this out, they sort of took a step back uh, okay. and they, they made a point to not even ask me about what I was studying, right? They, they knew I was, and of course, you know, I was living in their house, so they knew, okay, Will is going out for a Bible study, he's coming back, and but I think they, they made a specific point. We're not going to ask him, for example, oh, what did you learn? Or when is your next meeting? Or what's the mm -hmm. next topic you're studying? They didn't ask any of those questions, which I really appreciated. It helped me feel like, okay, this really is, this is my own life. This is my own relationship with God. Sure. And I think another thing that helped me a lot was I was able to have some peer relationships with other teenagers who were sort of going through the same process. Um, and I had some friends who did decide to become Christians as well and other friends who in the end did not, right? Yeah. They sort of, they also were figuring out, okay, I'm, my parents are Christians. I'm growing up trying to decide if I'm going to do this or not. Mm -hmm. And some did and some didn't, but I think those relationships helped me because I could have conversations with them where it felt like I don't have to try to give the right answer all the yeah. time or I don't have to try to make my friends happy we're all going through this we're all figuring this out mm -hmm. and everyone's going to have their own process so those two things helped quite a bit for me to feel like this is my own kind of walk this is my own journey that I'm on yeah that's awesome I really like the the friendship point because I think that is that's so true. I also had, when I was kind of making these decisions, I also had a couple of friends, we were all kind of contemplating it together. And you're right that you can have the honest conversation of, man, I just don't get this, or this makes total sense to me. And someone else is totally disagreeing with you. So that, that kind of right. dialogue is really, really helpful. Um, but, but kind of talk us through this. So 15 year old will, you know, decides, man, I want to figure out uh, this Christianity thing and make, make a decision for myself, right? Make, make a personal decision uh, to become a Christian. Uh, what were kind of the big turning points? Because now you are a Christian, right? 15 years later, you've been living this out. What were some of the big uh, turning points or big things that you were like, man, this is, this, there's just no other way for me but to become a Christian? Well, it took me a while. I, I studied the Bible for nine months before, before I made a decision. And, and there were different periods of time, even within those nine months where I sort of stopped for 
maybe three or four weeks and then picked it back up. And, uh, and I got to a point where I had learned everything I needed to learn. I had all the knowledge, right. As far as, okay, if I want to become a Christian, this is what I need to do. And so then it was a matter of deciding, is this what I want? Mm -hmm. Uh, because I knew intellectually, this is the right thing. It, it, It made sense to me intellectually. I, it made sense to me as I read the scriptures, okay, this is rational, this is logical, um, but I had to decide, is this really what I want to do with my life? And, and so I, there was kind of a specific moment where I, I just sat down and I thought, okay, what are my options, right? Like, let's say if I don't become a Christian, well, then what am I going to live for? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, I was an athlete, I was a runner, I ran uh, cross country and, and track, I did distance running. So I thought, okay, I could maybe dedicate myself to that and make that sort of the, the goal or my main ambition in life. Or I could dedicate myself to academics and just try to succeed there and, and sort of make that the, the barometer for how I feel week to week or day to day if I'm successful academically. I feel content. I feel happy. And another pretty appealing thing for me was just to be popular, to be known, to be liked. Um, You know, I was kind of in in one of those middle groups of friends, right? Because thinking in every sort of school culture across the world, you have all your different pockets of people. Mm -hmm. And I would say my group of friends was sort of in the middle, right? It was kind of we could we could talk to sort of the most popular kids kind of hang out over there but we weren't really in that group and so that was another huge desire for me was okay I I could I could do all the right things to sort of get to that top place but I really thought about all these things okay what am I going to dedicate myself to Um, if I go the athletic route I wasn't any sort of major athlete so I realized okay probably in a few years that's gonna fizzle out Mm -hmm. if i go with academics okay maybe i could really push myself go to a great university and then pursue a career and make a lot of money and that could be my life or i could just go the route of really trying to be liked uh basing my life off of what people think of me and i looked at all those things but i i i just realized i don't want those things and actually if I'm honest with myself, what I really want more than anything is just to have a relationship with God. Um, and I knew there was only one way to do it, but I, I had to really count the cost, right? As we, as we say, and sure. uh, look at the, the possible options I had. And, but I really did come to that decision of there's nothing I want more in life than, than a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the moment for me where, I didn't have many doubts after that, after that point that this is what I want to do. Sure. And then you've, you've traveled, I mean, lived, whatever the word is, you've kind of been on this journey for 15 years, right? Um, and right. So, uh, there are people, I, I joke all the time that the only person who listens to this that's over 35 is my mom. So this is <laughs> primarily a very young audience. Um, right. And some of whom have been Christians for a couple of months, some of whom are deciding whether or not they want to be Christians, and some of them maybe, you know, pushing a decade. Uh, but what would you say are some key things that you learned, you know, in those early years of being a Christian that have helped you to kind of stay the course and stay faithful to Jesus even till now? Well, I think one of the, one of the convictions that I built early on 
which, you know, I shared earlier, this is one of the things that helped me even as I was deciding if I wanted to be a Christian or not, was that I have to have relationships. And that's, that's always been really important to me. I, um, even the best friends that I have now, most of the best friends that I, that I have, I'm 30 years old now, but those were friendships that started being built when I was a teenager. Sure. So, I mean, the, the friends I talked to the most, I've known them since I was 15, 16, or even 18 years old at the beginning of university. Mm-hmm. And that has always been uh, a really deeply held belief and conviction for me. I have to have friends in my life who, who have the same faith and same convictions as me uh, because this is the hardest way to live, I would argue. And sure. if I try to do this without having support, I, I won't be able to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I think just from the time I really started studying the Bible to when I first became a Christian and beyond, uh, I've always had a daily habit of reading the Bible and praying. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't even know now how many times I've read the whole Bible as far as every single book in the Bible. I mean, probably 10 times kind of for each book and then certain New Testament books, uh, it would be dozens of times, but uh, just this conviction that I cannot even let a day or two or three days go by without having that time to read and to pray. And, and it became obvious to me very quickly that if I did let a couple of days go by without spending that time, I very quickly went back to the way I was living before. Sure. Um, all of my thought processes, all of my ways of looking at the world from before I became a Christian, they started coming back. And that was scary to me. I realized, oh, wow, it's easy to lose this, right? It's hard to hold on to this, but it's easy to lose this. So I think the relationships and then just the daily habits have been probably the main things that have grounded me for this time. Okay. That's awesome. And, and it's cool because I think these are themes that just every, t- every, every person I talk to, every time it comes up, uh, there seems to be some things that just keep being underlined. And relationship is definitely, the relationships is definitely one of them. Prayer is definitely one of them. Um, definitely Bible reading as well. So I, I love that because it, it just kind of reiterates uh, whatever the statement was by the previous guest of five guests ago on the podcast, I was like, man, this is just stuff that is true, you know? And even for me, sure. as I try to lead young people in the position that I hold here with, with uh, teenagers and, and, and then campus age students is, you know, kind of helping them to say, man, just do the basics really, really well. Uh, and that repetitive work of the basics, mm. that's, what, that's what mounds up into, you know, 15 years of, of, of being a Christian. Uh, but what would you say, you know, in 15 years, what would you say have been your biggest challenges? Like what has been like, man, this is just, it's just so hard to, whether it's a theological concept to grasp, whether it's a societal issue. I mean, we live in a very unique age right now and we can talk a little bit more about that later. But is there anything that you feel like, man, over the last 15 years has been, man, this has been challenging for me as I've tried to, to navigate life as a Christian? Sure. Um, I think one of the, one of the moments I always remember, one of the most challenging times for me was when I was, was 18 years old, I finished high school and then moved out of my parents' house to go to university. And so I, at this point, I had been a Christian for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I, I moved to university and I lived in an apartment with five other men. So it was, there were three bedrooms in this apartment. It was six of us total. Uh, 
and and I was the only Christian. As I mean, as far as my five roommates had no interest in God, no interest in spiritual things. And that really was a defining moment for me because I had the whole world, so to speak, in front of me, where now I'm out of my parents' house, I'm totally on my own, and I don't have any accountability in my apartment. Sure. Uh, you know, there's no one, none of my roommates is going to be looking at me wondering, oh, did Will read his Bible today? Did he pray? Sure. Uh, how's he doing his, in his relationship with God? And so that was a defining moment where I had to, I had to almost, it was almost like a second conversion for me in the sense of, okay, I, I became a Christian, but now I'm out, I'm, I'm out of my parents' house. I'm on my own. And I've got to really decide again, is this mm -hmm. the life I'm going to live or am I, am I going to just walk away from this? Uh, and that was a challenging moment. It was a daily fight to stay righteous to spend that time with God and to pursue those spiritual relationships that were outside of my living space, right? So I had to take the initiative to pursue those times. And then I think uh, another defining moment was moving here to Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was already married at that point. My wife and I had been married for three years when we moved from the U.S. here to Madrid, Spain. And, and once again, it was this moment where overnight, all of the support that I had come to expect and come to rely on, all of the encouragement that I had come to expect from the people around me uh, or from the church that I was in was, was gone. Sure. And we stepped into a situation where we started leading the church. It's a foreign country. We had to learn a new language. Uh, and, and, and we had to learn a new culture, right? Which I, yeah. I think for me, probably learning the culture has been harder than learning the language. It's so much more complex sure. than the language itself. And that was another defining moment of, I cannot, as, as important as my relationships are, I cannot rely on other people to give me what really only God can give me, yeah. which is to, to kind of fill my heart and soul to give me that encouragement, to be the rock that I'm going to stand on. Uh, but those were, th those have been hard moments where I had spent years of my life coming to expect certain things sure. in my relationship with God. And then I had to learn, wow, those things are not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then I'll just add one last thing that was hard. Last year, almost exactly a year ago, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and had to undergo uh, a pretty intense surgery to remove a tumor and then start going through chemotherapy. And she, for right now, the cancer is in remission. She, she seems to be recovering for now. She's okay. But that was another moment of, Oh my gosh, even, uh, even family, even health is not guaranteed. Yeah. And, uh, and I had to, to again, go back to the roots of my relationship with God of, am I going to be upset with God? if things that he never guaranteed me are not there, right? Things that I expect, but that weren't guaranteed. If those things are taken away, do I now get bitter with God? Do I now lose my faith or, or do I realize, okay, God never promised me uh, that all of my family members would be healthy or that I would always be healthy or that I would always have a ton of support around me. So sure. I've got to go back to, uh, the beginning, which is, I just, I want to be with God and that's, what's going to keep me grounded. So there have certainly been, 
and those are those are three that come to mind there's many more things that have been difficult but certainly there have been challenges along the way yeah and i and i think you know firstly sorry about your mom uh, i'm super grateful to hear that she's in remission i think that is that is encouraging but i know that that yeah. can't be easy my my dad was actually passed away from cancer so i know that you know the getting those diagnoses and and you know the prognosis of what's going to happen etc can't be easy especially if right. you're in a foreign country right you 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 know time zones away uh, from family um so you know sorry about that but i'm grateful to hear that she's in remission um but like you're saying, as you, you know, as you're journeying through this, you're saying, man, I chose to be a Christian, um, but it's not an easy life, right? And I think there is right. a disenfranchised group of people who, for some reason, which I don't know why, because Jesus was pretty clear that in this world you will have trouble, but for some reason thought the, world, the way of going Christian or going the Christian way should allow them to live this you know, blissful, you know, walking through the, the lilies, you know, sunflowers are smiling at you kind of uh, life. Uh, and yet what you're saying is it's very difficult and it, it forces mm-hmm. you to go back towards God, right? Because you're saying sometimes the relationships aren't there, sometimes the circumstances are uncomfortable or the things are challenging and you've got to go back to God. What would you say are, you know, what are some maybe scriptures, bedrock scriptures that really help you or potentially, you know, prayers that you feel like, man, you know, this kind of prayer has really helped me. Anything like that, that you can say, man, this practice or, you know, this discipline, even if it's like fasting, has really been a catalyst for helping me go back to God and dig deeper in that relationship. And then if you could describe it for us practically. So like, you know, how would I be able to implement kind of what you've been able to do in those times? Sure. Uh, Well, I think in this most recent sort of challenging time with, with my mom's health, what I've had to continue remembering is, uh, okay, when I became a Christian at my baptism, what are the, what are the two things that God promised me? He promised me the forgiveness of sins and he promised me the gift of the Holy spirit. And that's it. Anything else that God gives me, whether it's my marriage, having a child, uh, being able to be a missionary, which for me is, is a dream come true, friendships, any material goods, whatever else I have in my life, whatever good things I have in my life, beyond those two promises, that's just extra. But that, that's not promised to me. That's not guaranteed to me. Uh, and, and that's something I've had to really think about, pray about, meditate on a lot, that I, uh, I'm not entitled. To, to any of these things. And, and obviously, even God's promises to us regarding salvation, right? Our sins being forgiven, the Holy Spirit. I don't deserve that. Mm-hmm. I don't deserve it. that. That's only through Jesus's death and resurrection. And it is promised, of course, you know, if we follow the scriptures, but, uh, but whatever good things I have in life, it's just, it's God's incredible grace and him just loving me beyond understanding. Uh, and so I've had to really grapple with that because I think there have been so many moments in my life where I have felt entitled. I felt entitled to having great friends around me all the time. I have felt entitled to, well, if I do the right things, um, you know, if I, if I uh, keep myself pure and righteous, then of course I'll get married, right? Of course I'll have that relationship. And uh, I have felt entitled, which is it's not right, right? That, that's not a, a good spiritual way to think. 
as far as scriptures that have grounded me, so I think I think one that helps me a lot is is Second Peter one. Uh, it starts in verse three, and and it's where God, you know, it's obviously Peter writing inspired by God. It's God's word, and it says His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it goes on to say, what are the things we should add to our faith, right? We add to our faith, goodness, to goodness, kind of self-control, mm -hmm. uh, mutual affection, brotherly love. And if we continue adding these things, right, it'll keep us from be becoming ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so for me, I've held on to that scripture, even this year, 2020 with coronavirus, where everything that that we expected all of our sort of most stable things in life were taken away or at least put on hold and i had to go back to specifically verse three okay god's divine power it's given us everything we need for life and godliness so i with god i have what i need i don't have to rely on other things in this world to be able to have uh, you know a manageable life or to live in a godly way god has already given us everything we need and um and honestly for me just meditating on on several different psalms where i've had to actually moments where it was hard for me to pray in this last year it was hard for me to articulate my thoughts and so i would just read psalms out loud and let that be my prayer um and even reading Psalms of lament, like Psalm, Psalm 88 is an example of just lamenting. And there's no happy ending in Psalm 88. It, there's, there's no kind of reconciliation by the end of the Psalm and realizing it's okay for me to, to pray like that. Yeah. I don't have to always have a happy ending when I pray. I can just tell God, God, I'm, I'm upset. I'm confused. I don't understand why these things are happening and i'm hurt mm. and and it could be okay for me to pray like that and, and, and obviously eventually i'm going to want to work to a resolution right get to a conclusion where i do i'm able to be resolved in my faith yeah but it's okay for me to be honest in prayer god already knows what i'm thinking and feeling so yeah. it's not like it's a surprise to god when i say it out loud um and then, you know, as far as daily habits, I've had to extend my daily time with God, especially in the last year, again, with my mom's health and then with coronavirus, both of those things combined. And what I do is I always, I'll typically do 20 minutes of reading the Bible, reading and taking notes. I'll do 20 minutes of reading another spiritual book and then 20 minutes of prayer. And when I pray, I almost always now I write down my prayers. I have a journal. That's my prayer journal. And I write it out. And that for me, that just helps me focus. It helps me articulate my thoughts. I get so easily distracted. If I'm just sitting in a room praying, I'm thinking about 20 different things. So when I write it down, it helps me to really be focused and engaged with God for that time. So that, that's a habit of Bible and then a spiritual book and then prayer that I've tried to do every day. And that has really grounded me. Wow, man, that's, there's a lot of good stuff there, right? There's, there's uh, you know, you kind of started off talking about this idea of, you know, it's not, you know, I follow God, so therefore I deserve anything, right? It's, it's man, I've got I've right. to be clear that, man, everything is God's grace, you know, and even if it's hard to take in, 
that's just, it is what it is. You know, that's the situation that I'm in. Uh, but then even to just being able to say, man, sometimes it's just praying the hard prayers or not praying at all and just reading a Psalm and that being your prayer. Um, and then I love the practical of how your daily, you know, your daily practice looks every morning. Um, and I think you're right, man. I think for many people we are living through 2020 has been the weirdest, craziest, most challenging year um, of our lives. And I think, you know, more now more than ever, we need to have an incredibly serious uh, devotion to our times with God because he is the only one who can help us, who can encourage us, who can walk with us uh, during a time like this. So I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I do want to kind of um, talk about one of the hard times that you spoke about was your move to Spain. Um, and I want to kind of just, you know, take me back a few years before that. How did you end up kind of in the full-time ministry? Uh, was that your first gig doing ministry, kind of just going to Spain, leading a church? My guess is not. I don't know. You know, I, it could be. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think you would have probably needed some training, get, you know, get some time to learn. stuff. Right. So how did that kind of come about? And then, and then what kind of was the catalyst? It sounds like it's something you've wanted to do for a while. Um, you said it, it was kind of a dream come true being a missionary. So walk us through kind of that story. How did you end up, you know, being in Spain, leading a church in, in Madrid, Spain? Sure. So, uh, well, as far as starting kind of my path in ministry, I was not planning on going into the full-time ministry when I started university. I, I actually studied business and my plan was to get my business degree and, and start my career and, and, you know, and live as a disciple within that, but mm -hmm. have my full-time job and, and just, I don't know, maybe lead a, a small group in the church and be yeah. a support. But when I, when I first started at university, again, moving, moving out of my parents' house, going and living in, in, a, in an apartment, it's, you know, it's a dormitory in the U.S., living on campus, uh, there was just one other Christian on campus with me uh, as far as, you know, one other person where I knew, okay, we're going to be together here at this university. Uh, we started doing Bible discussions together, sharing our faith every day, and then studying the Bible with my classmates. And so that was just within the first two or three weeks of my, my first year of university where I was now doing that every day. And I, I hadn't been doing that nearly as often in high school. Sure. So now every day I'm sharing my faith, studying the Bible with people. We're having these Bible discussions on campus and I fell in love with it. And really within my first month of university, I decided, I think this is what I want to do. And I started praying every day that, okay, God, I have four years of university. So I just pray that between now and the time that I graduate, you, God, make it absolutely clear if this is what you want for me, if this is your will for my life. And so I, I continued with my business degree. I, I actually studied marketing and information systems. So that yes. uh, I went through those four years. I got my degree. But by the end of that time, through praying, I mean, it was every day. I prayed every day for four years that God would make it clear. And he did. He made it, he made it very clear. This is, this is kind of the path. This is the open door for you. And, uh, and so it worked out that my now wife and I, we had started dating during our last year of university. We're the same age. So we, we started dating. We graduated around the same time. Mm -hmm. and uh, we were dating long distance. I lived in Baltimore, Maryland. She lived in Boston, Massachusetts, and we both had the desire to, to work in the full-time ministry. So we started interviewing and looking at different options of where we could 
going to the ministry. And we were hired by the church in Southern Connecticut. Um, it's very close to New York City. It's almost considered a suburb of New York City. Okay. And we moved there right after university. We were 22 years old and started to work with the campus ministry and the high school ministry in the church there. So we, we lived there for four and a half years, working with those two ministries, being trained by the church leaders. And, um, and then how did we end up coming to Madrid from there? So uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll try to explain it as quickly as possible because th this is a shameless plug. I, I tell this story in much more detail in the book that you and I collaborated on, The Mission, which is coming out this year. Uh, so there, there's a lot of details in there about this, this very story. But uh, my wife, Kristen, and I, we, we had always had this desire for ministry, but also to be missionaries, and specifically in Europe. Mm -hmm. My wife had the opportunity to go to Berlin, Germany for three years in a row, three summers in a row between semesters okay. to just help with the campus ministry there. So she would go and spend her summers uh, in Berlin, having Bible discussions on campus, sharing her faith with, with German college students. And so she developed this heart for Europe specifically and for the European churches. And I had always had a desire to be connected again to the Spanish language and culture uh, because up until I was three years old, I spoke Spanish. When we moved to the States, I, t I forgot all of it, uh, totally was not able to speak it. Probably by the time I was five years old, it, it was gone. And I studied it a, a little in school, but, but didn't learn much of it. So I had this desire to get reconnected with the Spanish culture. My wife had a heart for Europe. And then as I learned more and more about sort of the state of Christianity in Europe, I realized, wow, uh, there's a lot of needs in Europe for people with faith to come and just talk about God and kind of preach the word and and get God's word into people's minds and hearts again, because, you know, Europe maybe prides itself as a post-Christian, post-modern, post-religion continent by and large. Yeah. And so I started developing this dream for Europe. So for me, it was quite clear if I want to be in Europe and I also have this desire to reconnect with the Spanish language and culture, well, then there's really one place that makes sense, which is Spain. <laughs> yeah. Um, for my wife, it wasn't as clear. She really wanted to go to Germany. But as it turns out, uh, the couple that had been leading the church in Madrid had some health challenges. They were missionaries as well, but with the health challenges, they had to come back to the U.S. And my wife and I were planning a trip with a group of, uh, a group of kind of interns, like campus ministers, to come to Madrid for two weeks just to encourage the church. We were gonna come, encourage the church, share our faith on campus, spend time with the disciples. And that trip actually turned into an interview. Two weeks before the trip, we were asked, what would you think about interviewing to lead the church in Madrid? You know, the, there's a need for another leader to come in, another couple to come in. So we wrote down almost immediately 25 prayers, specific prayers that, God, if you want us to do this, please do these 25 things, make it clear. Wow. Because at, at the time we interviewed, we were 26 years old. We had never led a church before. Uh, and we had only been married at, for two and a half years by the time we interviewed. So we were young in our marriage and never led a church. So we just prayed all these prayers. God, please make it obvious if this is what you want us to do. 
and prayers as specific as help us learn the language quickly. Uh, if you want us to go, then we pray that the church that we're in now can hire people to replace us and do what we're doing here. We pray that the church won't be worried about our age. You know, the fact that we're young, that the church will be unanimous in this, the, the decision to bring us in, to hire us. And God answered all those prayers. That's what made it clear. That's what made it obvious. This is, this is God's will. We can't deny it. And so even in the hardest moments here, the days that are hardest, right? To be a missionary, to be in a foreign country, away from friends and family. I remember all those answered prayers and remember that, gosh, God made it so clear. How can I doubt it when God answered all these prayers that we, we had put before him? Yeah. Well, man, this is, this is turning into quite a, a good conversation about prayer. It seems to come up quite regularly in your, in your journey and in your story here. So I'm going to I'm going to ask uh, what I'm thinking is you prayed for four years, the same prayer, you know, for God to right. make it clear for you to go into the ministry. But then in this, you know, kind of it's two weeks before this two week trip to Spain. And now it's, there's a list of 25 things that you're praying for. And I'm sure you must have prayed for other stuff in between, you know, for your marriage, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems to be that there's this, uh, you know, Will Lambert's life is very re reliant and revolving around prayer. Um, and so, you know, help me out, man. How do I, how do I channel that energy? You know, I, I feel like my prayer life is always in a space where it can grow. I feel like, man, I, I always need to learn how to do, how to do prayer better, uh, how to do prayer more consistently, how to do greater volume of prayer, how to do greater depth and vulnerability in prayer. So what are some things that really help you to have that kind of, you know, man, I just, I need to pray about this and I'm going to, you know, whether it's the four years consistently or man, I'm just going to be specific about 25 things God needs to make clear here. Um, how do you go about that? And, you know, how, you know, what, what, what has helped, what has helped you kind of cultivate that in your life? Sure. Well, I'll, uh, I mean, I'll be honest. I think that certainly part of the motivation of whenever there's a big decision coming up and, and I want to make sure that my wife and I pray a lot. A lot of the motivation is just to avoid making stupid decisions <laughs> or decisions that I'm, I'm going to regret immediately. Sure, I, sure. I mean, there's been so many moments in my life where I thought everything made sense. I thought, okay, everything's in place for this to go well, for this to work. I feel great. I have no doubts. How could it go wrong? And then it totally blew up in my face. Oh, no. So I think, so uh, a lot of it for sure was first learning it the hard way that, okay, almost every time that I've just made a decision on my own wisdom, whatever wisdom I thought I had or my own understanding, mm -hmm. most of the time it has not gone well. Okay. So now that I've sort of observed that, let's try something different. And, and that was for me, this conviction of, okay. I've got to just put it in God's hands because I may think that I see everything clearly. I may think that it all makes sense or that I'm prepared. What could go wrong? But how much can I really see? I, I don't even know what's going to happen an hour from now. Sure. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And sort of in the, the story of my life, right? Like this book that God is writing in my life, he's the only one that knows what happens on the next page. Sure. He's the only one that happens in the next chapter. And he's definitely the only one who knows how the story is going to end. Yeah. And so before I try to jump into the next page or jump into the next chapter, I better 
give God every opportunity to guide me. And what do I mean by give God every opportunity? It's not, it's not like I'm deciding, you know, what God's going to do or not do. I just mean, I want to try to open myself up to understand what God is wanting to do in my life right now and what he's trying to teach me. Because every time that I've tried to do it on my own, uh, it, it really does not go well. And so let me, let me back up here. Let me pray. Let me just give it to God and see what he's going to do. And that's gone for everything from going to the ministry to moving here to marrying my wife. I mean, that one of the scariest prayers I ever prayed that, and I prayed this until the day of our wedding that God, if you don't want Kristen and me to get married, then take it away. If this is not your will, then, then stop it, put, just block it. Don't let it happen because that's a lifelong decision. You know, marriage is yeah. till death do us part. And so I don't want to, I don't want to jump into this again, thinking I know what's best thinking. I understand all of it, but not giving it to God. So I think it started as learning it the hard way and then realizing, okay, I've made so many stupid decisions. Yeah. This is clearly not working. So what's the alternative? It's, I'm just going to give it to God and, and I'm going to let him, let him do it because I, every time I try to do it, uh, it, it doesn't work. So yeah. that's how it started. And now for me, it's just, it's a, it's a conviction. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And you're right. Uh, I can definitely relate that every time I've tried to do it on my own strength or my own understanding. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not gone well. <laughs> it's, it's been, it's been, uh, right. been a learning a thing I've needed to learn. Um, and so I, I dig that that's kind of where it comes from. And I think everybody can, I'm sure relate to, man, I just need to seek out what God says more because you're, you're right. He, he holds the book and he knows what happens in the next page and the, the final page as well. So, so that's super helpful. Uh, but, but take us, take us to Madrid. You know, we, you've now, you've moved there. Uh, for those who listen that are football supporters, he is a real Madrid supporter, not an Atletico Madrid supporter. That's right. That is, that is good news. Uh, but, but you move now over to, to, uh, to Spain, you're leading the church and then, 2020 the the amazing year that this right has been, you know um so so give me some kind of like a picture of what was it like as as the virus kind of came into spain and you know madrid particularly and things started getting shut down and, and what you know for you what were you thinking what were you processing as that happened because i think different parts of the world you know obviously processed it differently uh, and it seemed to go down differently uh, but I'd love to hear from you as kind of a person leading a church, leading young people, you know, what, what was all going through your mind during the time? It's certainly been difficult. Um, I think that at, at the very beginning, so we, in Spain, we went into lockdown this, it was the third week of March. That was when everything shut down. We were in quarantine uh, and pretty, pretty quickly the the restrictions became really severe to the point where we could not even leave our homes unless it was going to buy food or going to work if you worked as an essential worker but even going to work you you had to carry a document with you showing that uh it, it's required for you to go to work you know you, you are an essential worker and then we couldn't leave we, we couldn't go beyond one kilometer of our homes so even if you went to buy food, you had to stay within one kilometer of your home. Um, and the only, again, the only way you could go beyond that was, was going to work. And so for the church, 
we immediately had to start doing everything virtually. Of course, mm -hmm. uh, we did, we did a YouTube live stream for our sermons. We would, we did zoom calls with small groups, family groups, and then we would have zoom calls. We started doing zoom calls every two weeks with the whole church together. We would, we would all watch the YouTube video and then we would get on zoom and we would have a couple people share and then we would pray together to take communion each in our homes. And then uh, the next week we would just meet in small groups over zoom. But it was challenging as a church leader because for me, there was, there was quite a bit of emotional pressure to make sure everyone was taken care of because we had people who lost their jobs and, uh, and were immediately in a pretty challenging situation economically, right? Financially. Uh, we had several people who during certain weeks did not have any money even to buy food. And so even trying to figure out what can we do to make sure everyone's taken care of, to make sure that at least everyone's basic needs are met. And then uh, as far as people's spiritual and emotional needs, of course, everything we have to do is virtual. So let's, let's do Zoom calls. Let's have phone calls during the week. Uh, there were different groups of, of, you know, brothers and sisters who would have devotionals every day over the phone just reading scriptures together but it was uh it was challenging as far as the emotional pressure as a church leader and then just personally to be at home with uh a one and a half year old baby right at, at the time that i started our son was one and a half and uh and just to sort of be stuck in the house together right yeah and i i mean i know that many people had much more challenging situations with three or four or even more children at home and yeah. trying to work, uh, you know, you're logging in, trying to work for eight hours a day. And I mean, it's just been, uh, it's been a crazy year. And, uh, and I think personally it's been tough. And then as, as far as the being a church leader, more than anything, it's been the emotional pressure mm -hmm. of trying to do everything we can to take care of people, keep everyone connected. Yeah. It's been difficult. Sure. Yeah, man. I can, I can only imagine, and uh, you know, I can definitely relate as someone who's also in the ministry. It has definitely there is a pressure to take care of people and and you know shepherd well uh, during a time like this. Right. Uh, so we appreciate your hard work. You know, I, I'm not in Spain or anything, but man, just the fact that you've been faithful, st stayed in there. You know, people, you could have pressed a eject button, man. You could have said, Nah, all right, dude, I'm going home, going back over right. to the states or what have you. So we appreciate your your hard work. Uh, but but as we as we kind of uh, bring this in for a landing you know if you there's two things that i want to ask you you know first one is if you think about uh this time of of lockdown coronavirus pandemic obviously uh, the racial and social injustice i think you know in your home country of the us has sparked worldwide kind of uh, you know movements etc um but also just the general fallen state of the of the globe what would you think what would you say you know to young people to help them thrive in life as well as in their faith what are some things that you feel like are are key sure uh, uh i think one thing is if there's anything we've learned this year it's that nothing in life outside of god is is really stable there, there's really nothing else that we can actually rely on sure. uh we can't we can't rely even on, on medical advances. We can't rely on even science because 
here we have this virus that, uh, that no one anticipated and that we're still trying to figure out how to treat. And it seems to be sort of evolving constantly, our understanding of it. And eventually, of course, we'll get to a point where we understand the virus, you know, we have an effective vaccine, but something else is going to come, whether it's in five years or 10 years. And there are always going to be things that happen, whether it's uh, health related, whether it is as far as uh, how governments are operating in peace, times of peace, times of war. Uh, there's always going to be unknown, unexpected things that happen in our lives. And so if, if we rely on anything besides God, we're constantly going to be disappointed. We're constantly going to be uh, so, sort of destabilized, right? Because if we, if we sort of planted our flag on medical advances, on the scientific community, on the government, or on the international community, we're always going to be uh, kind of thrown for a loop, right? Mm-hmm. God is the only thing that we can truly rely on. He's the only one that's, he doesn't change. He's unchanging, right? And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. And we can trust in God's promises, right? His promises don't change even as the circumstances change. That would be my main encouragement to anybody. Uh, what we've learned this year is, well, we have to put all of our hope in God, not on anything else, because he is the only thing that's unchanging. Sure. Amen. No, thanks, brother. I appreciate that. And I think you, you're spot on. Uh, unfortunately, even we change, right? You know, I feel good today. I don't feel so good the next day. You know, I'm up and down emotionally, physically. Uh, but you're right in that God, God holds true. You know, my favorite passage in the Bible, in fact, is Malachi 3, 6. Uh, where he says, you know, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Israel, are not destroyed. You know, because that's who he right. is. So, so I really appreciate that. Um, and then you shamelessly plugged it earlier, but, but I do want to, you know, kind of give you the platform to really a project I believe you came up with uh, that I was uh, very fortunate enough to kind of jump on uh, is to talk about the book, you know, the title, what is the book about, and then potentially when does it release and where will it be available in case someone on this podcast, you know, would want to would listen to it or read it, sorry. Sure. So the the book is called The Mission, uh, and it is with Illumination Publishers, Illumination Publishers International. The the plan is for it to be released in October of this year, so within the next two months, uh, and it will be available on ipibooks.com. But what it is, it's it's a collection of, it's 29 chapters written by 29 different authors all over the world, from Los Angeles, California, to Boston, Massachusetts, to, to Spain and Italy and France, to South Africa in your case, uh, to Jakarta, Indonesia, and to, to Papua New Guinea. I mean, it's truly an international book. It's written by young missionaries and young leaders, uh, young Christian leaders from all over the world, talking about their faith, talking about uh, significant moments in their lives, stories that brought them to God moments where they've had to stand firm in, in spiritual storms. And this is a sort of a new version, not quite a remake, but it's, it's a new version of a book by the same title, which was released in 1990, uh, 1994, actually. Uh, there was a book called The Mission, and it was a collection of, of stories and chapters written by missionaries and and Christian leaders all over the world. So this is sort of a new version of it with young leaders 
almost all of the authors are under 35 years old. And so uh, it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite a global representation, right? It's got a global representation of, of just these young, faithful people all over the world talking about their lives, talking about their convictions. So I think it will be a great resource to, to anybody, young and old alike, uh, whether you're in the ministry or not. There's an, a lot of inspiring content there. Come on. That's awesome, man. And uh, yeah, again, thank you very much for, for thinking of me, somehow finding me through the interwebs and, uh, you know, allowing me to participate in being one of the 29 chapters. I really do, do appreciate that. But above that, man, Will, thank you so much for availing us, you know, giving us your time. Uh, sure. Come on here and, and chat. Uh, honestly, I feel like I learned so much about prayer. I'm very challenged in my own life about my, my prayer life for sure. And so much more. And so just so grateful for you, brother. And uh, be praying for you guys over in, in Spain uh, and in Madrid particularly. And uh, we'll pray that Madrid can uh, get a Champions League in the 2020-2021 in the season. I uh, appreciate you. I hope so. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. Wow. Right. I mean, what an incredible interview. Uh, what a great conversation with Will Lambert. Uh, so uh, incredibly cool. Uh, you would have heard his little son in the background every now and then. Uh, I just so enjoy Zoom and how it does that sometimes. You know, it kind of puts people uh, in their home and you get to see like life as they as they live it. He was he actually came onto the screen at some point and I got to see him. A uh, cute little boy, um, but just so grateful for Will and his wife and all the work that they do out in um, Madrid, Spain. And yeah, just his story, man, you know, just this fervently faithful man who's gone through all sorts of challenges and has just somehow made sure that prayer, uh, great friendships and, and Bible study have just been a core part of his life. And usually this point in the podcast, I give kind of the big takeaways for me, uh, but in a bit of a switch of style, I want to announce that uh, we will be having a giveaway coming up here probably uh, depending on how downloads go um, in the next episode of thoughts longer than three minutes um, yeah just to celebrate kind of reaching a thousand downloads so uh, if you are interested in hearing more about the competition stick around because i'll be i'll be dropping uh, the exact details for that um, but for now uh, to help us get there quicker, if you don't mind just sharing this with one friend whom you think it would be helpful to, uh, wherever you are, I'd really appreciate it as we continue to see the podcast grow. Uh, I just want to say, you know, I'm committed to making this the best that I can and making it as helpful as possible. So if you have any input, any ways that you think I can improve, any kind of people you want me to interview, please feel free to reach out and uh, I will definitely do my best to, to do that. Um, but other than that, thank you so much for listening. Look out for our competition. I appreciate you so much. Cheers.